Welcome to Libraries Out Loud, a podcast produced by the University of Buffalo Libraries. I'm your host, Omar Brown, evening supervisor in the Silverman Library on the UB's North Campus. In each episode of the Libraries Out Loud, we'll explore connections between the UB libraries and the research, learning, teaching, and creative activities of our faculty, students, and staff. Dr. Keith Mages is the curator of the University of Buffalo's Robert L. Brown History of Medicine Collection. He returns to UB after five years in New York City as the Norton M. Luger, MD, clinical medical librarian at the Samuel J. Wood Library of Wild Cornell Medicine. Prior to his time at Wild Cornell, Keith worked closely with former curator Linda Lore as an assistant librarian of the History of Medicine Collection. Keith has a bachelor's in nursing and an MLS in library information science from the University at Buffalo and an MSN in advanced practice child and adolescent psychiatric nursing from Yale University as well as a Ph.D. in the history of nursing from the University of Pennsylvania. Keith is thrilled to be back working with Robert L. Brown History of Medicine Collection and is looking forward to sharing its impressive resources with members of UB, Western New York, and the greater global community. And the interviewer for this episode is Brian Sajeki. It's wonderful that you have a Ph.D. Um, so what made you decide to pursue a Ph.D. in the first place beyond librarianship? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, Actually, it was my experiences working as a practicum student with Linda Lore in the Robert L. Brown History of Medicine collection. Um, I had arrived to that collection as a, um, a library student who had a background as a nurse and uh, had my master's and undergraduate degree in nursing. And I had known quite a bit about modern healthcare information and the knowledge. But when I got to work with Linda in history of medicine, I realized there's a whole spectrum of history of the health sciences that I had no idea about. You don't really learn those things and in, in, in there's not time for it in modern education of, of the health um, professions. So the more I worked with her, I thought there's so much here. How can I learn more about this? And I thought, well, let's get a PhD because that's my actual time I can delve into the history of medicine and learn more about these specialty areas that I was so fascinated by. Wow. <laughs> so you worked with Linda then for a number of years then, correct? Yeah, yeah. So. The first time around I worked with her was as a practicum student, um, and then I worked as a student uh, assistant at the Health Sciences Library. So I had the pleasure of working with Linda for about probably two to three years then in those capacities. Um, then when I came back after I finished my PhD program at University of Pennsylvania, I moved back to the area and she was able to uh, get a a line open for an assistant librarianship role in the history of medicine collection, which I, it was a part-time role, but I was um, thrilled to come back and be able to work with her for about four years uh, in, that, in that capacity. So I think I was there from about 2011 to 2015 or 16. Uh, so under uh, her tutelage, what do you think is the most important thing you may have learned from her about the collection, maybe about just the history of medicine within itself? Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, she was an incredible teacher, a very generous teacher. Um, she had a love for that collection and it really sparked kind of a joy in anybody who worked with her. Um, and just seeing how she would interact with patrons when they would come in and ask a question, how she would almost instantly know, if not the answer to it, she would know where to go to find the answer, whether it be online or, or in the physical collection itself. And so that kind of 
collaboration that she always brought. Um, you know, she would tell these stories. She would work with the patrons and educate them, but also learn from them. And you know, why were they coming in? What was their story that brought them here? And so it was really this this great relationship that she always grew with the folks that came to collection. And so that really inspired me too to learn more about not only the collection itself, the history of medicine, but also how to work with folks and educate them and get them excited too. Well, her uh, attitude was infectious. It was. And it was very nice uh, working with her. Yep. And, uh, we actually, uh, a couple of my colleagues and I actually went on a tour uh, when I first was brought on many years ago. And she was just so excited <laughs> about the collection. Mm -hmm. And she had these little these little pieces, these little pockets that you know she was waiting to kind of just be a little cliffhanger and be like, I have something <laughs> to show you back there. But hold on, there's something else. So uh, I love it. Yeah, she's She was phenomenal. <laughs> so is there anything specifically that you miss about her now that she has uh, passed? Yeah, I, I mean, there's so much. I think one of the things that was really lovely about her is that she never never took herself too seriously. So um, even though she was a fount of wisdom and knowledge, uh, she didn't see herself that way. She, she saw herself, I think, as a sponge, as somebody who wanted to learn more and more. And so there's this kind of gracious scholar attitude that she had that you don't often see in academ academia. But she was someone, I don't think she would call herself a scholar, but she certainly was um, because she was so interested in the subject matter and in learning from the folks that were in it and in the resources she had. And she would just always be there to teach you. And so that's now that I've taken over her role in the collection, I keep expecting her to come <laughs> out of the stacks any moment now, you know, because I'm so used to her being there. And I have already, there's been a couple of reference questions that have come through. And I'm like, oh, if only Linda were here, because I know that she would know exactly where in the collection I can find this. I know it's here somewhere, but I have to be hunting and, you know, pecking for it more. Whereas I know she'd be like, oh, just go to that corner in the back stacks. You've got that. <laughs> So do you think you have a lot to learn yet about this collection, even though you're well-versed with it I, based on your experiences? Yeah, yes, I do. Um, there's just, there's, since I've been gone, they, had, they have acquired more. So there's, there's, there's new acquisitions. Um, Matt, who was the former um, assistant librarian, and Linda have worked closely with Marie Elia and have cataloged or um, created finding aids and, and helped to organize some of our manuscript collections. So I don't know much about what's physically in those collections. Those are always kind of sitting in the back shelf, so they took a much deeper dive into those. So I, I'm excited to learn more about the, the resources we have there. And yeah, it's really just, again, about learning everything we the collection has. It has over, I think, about 28,000 volumes in it. So it's Jeez. a fairly decent-sized collection. Uh, so there's a lot to brush up on. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> Uh, is anything uh, of specialty interest to you within the field of medical history um, or even within the collection or both? Like any specific artifacts or yeah. any sect of medical history, anything really stand out to you as something when you think about it, you say that that calls to me? Sure. Um, well, one of the things in the collection, uh, two of the things that I think are really in interesting are the death masks that we have there. So that's not an uh, usual item that I think a medical collection has. <laughs> um, but I, I think, especially these days, medicine and healthcare in general is getting more comfortable with death and making you know a good death something to 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 look into. Um, so it's tangential to medical history. But what we have in the collection are is the Roswell uh, Parks death mask and then Edgar McGuire's death mask. So Roswell Park, many people know, um, was the founder of Roswell Park, the Cancer Institute, uh, a physician on on faculty here at UB, 
Edgar McGuire, folks may not know as much, uh, but he was a, another physician. He worked closely with, with Roswell Park, was also a, a, a very well-known physician here in Buffalo. And his daughter was Annette Cravens, who donated many, many instruments that we have in the collection, the History of Medicine collection, in the Edgar McGuire Instrument Collection. Uh, so we have his death mask, too. And I find those really fascinating, just to get back to what death masks are, is because, you know, those are created for individuals that were... Um, folks in a position of authority, of power, of cultural influence. And so what's interesting about them is that, you know, when these people died, someone thought, let's get a plaster model, exactly, wrap it around the head, get the facial features, and then have this, this model, this mask ready, so that we can create sculptures and statues. So that's kind of what the thought behind death masks are, is that they're going to be a likeness of the, of the person, of the face, so that if statues are put up in their honor, They've got them ready to go so they can have that likeness, um, which is kind of fascinating. That, that is incredibly <laughs> fascinating. And like you said, I like what, that you brought up the idea of how it changes the way that death is perceived mm. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, is it, are they the only death masks available for, for, the, uh, for both gentlemen? You know, that's a great question. I, I think that Roswell Park, from what I remember, might have won. The Cancer Institute may have won also. Um, I don't know about Edgar McGuire having one available besides that one. Uh, if anybody does want to make a sculpture or a statue, let us know, because you're welcome to use it and create your own plaster uh, face from it and, and use it. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know if, where the other examples might be. Interesting. Very, very, very interesting. <laughs> so uh, moving on a little bit here, do mm -hmm. you think that you'll be collaborating with uh, other academic libraries that have strong medical history collections? And if so, which might stand out to you that are aspirational partners in the process? I would love to. Um, that's a great question. So I've got, I've got kind of two strands of thinking on that end. One of them is thinking about um, working with more of the Western New York, Central New York medical uh, universities. So Strong and University of Rochester, the Minor Library, they've got a great historical collection. Uh, Upstate Medical College over in Syracuse has another really nice uh, archives and special collections. I think it'd be wonderful if we could kind of collaborate between us and maybe some local institutions, think about the history of medicine in general in the Western New York and Central New York regions, and maybe develop kind of um, a, a traveling show, if you will, where we could go, maybe I could go to Syracuse, you know, the University of Rochester uh, curator or archivist can go there as well. And we can meet with the local folks there and talk about how medicine education has developed across the region. Uh, and then maybe, you know, go to some local areas and, and kind of commute together when things kind of get back to normal. I think that could be really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I'd like to do is, is, is possibly uh, the third UB Medical School had an amazing specimen collection, anatomical and specimen museum. Uh, I'm not sure when you went on the tour if you remember seeing there was a photograph of the, the medical school used to be on the third one was on High Street, very close to where Buffalo General is now. Yes, yes. Um, and within it was this, this uh, anatomical and pathological museum. Uh, two stories. It had articulated skeletons. It had specimen jars. It had a rider, uh, a, ma a, a male skeleton on a horse that was <laughs> over like a story tall pretty much. This horse was arching up and um, had a spear, the man had a spear. I don't know what they were trying, besides the glory and grandeur of medicine and, and, and anatomy. I don't think I could recreate that. But what I would love to do <laughs> is maybe bring together some of this uh, specimens or the skeletons. Right now, we don't know where many of these are. Uh, rumor is that when they moved to, the new, to our South Campus, which was a new campus at the time, um, in the 50s, 
that these most of them were donated to the Science Museum. Okay. Uh, but I don't think it's ever been confirmed. And, I, and the, from everyone I've spoke with in medical school, no one knows where these collections have gone. Regardless, I would love to put together maybe a memorial kind of thing of what the collection looked like at some point in time. Yes, yes. Imagine we've got that we got that still, blow that up to almost like a life-size background, and then maybe work with places like the Dittrick Museum or the Mütter Museum. The Dittrick is in Cle Cleveland, in Case Western Reserve. The Mütter is in Philadelphia, or the Warren and, and Anatomical Museum at Harvard, okay. and maybe borrow some of their collections just briefly uh, for an in-person kind of recreation of the space. I think that'd be so great. Um, such a great way to collect, connect with our other museum collections that are out there in the history of medicine, but then also show some of our students, faculty, staff, what we used to have and what it was for. And then we can also uh, weave into that now the whole ethical discussions around um, human specimens and human remains and kind of bring it up to date with, you know, what will we do today in these situations and what do they tell us? So what were they used for in the past? And how can we learn from them today in the present? Um, I think it'd be fascinating. So pie in the sky ideas, yeah. <laughs> hey, perhaps, but either way, it, it it seems like it would be not not only a wonderful uh, ex exhibition of sorts, yeah. but also artistic and educational, kind of fostering more conversation. Yes, yes. And people in Buffalo, if you've grown up in the Western New York area. Mm -hmm take pride in yep. the history and the rich history and this is probably a sect of it that they don't they don't typically think of right when they're driving downtown or yep. they're passing the university of buffalo either campus yes that so much has changed yes. especially within the last 100 150 years just so many things are not the same yep yeah and it's a shame that that a lot of those oh. uh, specimens are you know, kind of difficult to find if, yeah. if they're still even in existence. That, that's it. I mean, they have such a story to tell now. And again, it's not only just of the specimens themselves, but thinking about how they were acquired. And I don't know if we'll ever find that, that out for some of these, but just thinking about, you know, what were the stories? What were the people? What were the lives that these came from? Um, so not only diving into how they influenced practitioners' education, but also who were the folks behind them and, you know, putting those stories together so everybody can kind of learn and grow. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So the University of Buffalo actually is going to be acquiring a 360-degree camera soon. Yes. Do you think that you could use that technology to create some sort of immersive experience for patrons? Yeah, you know, I was really, congratulations on that, by the Thank way. Thank you very much. I know that you were uh, integral in getting that funding for that. Um, so, yeah, I, I would love to use it. Obviously, I think that just having the physical space of the collection uh, captured in 360 would be wonderful to show that, especially now during these these, these waning times, hopefully of COVID, Absolutely, so folks yeah. could still be, you know, seeing it and immersed in the in, in the actual physical space because it does have some wonderful things. Um, aside from that, there's a couple things that come to mind. One of the things that I would love to do is put together uh, Vesalius, who was a, a, a anatomist uh, from what is he from? 1500s, uh, Italy, and I would love to put together, he has a series of plates that just depict the human body in various forms of dissection. So, you know, around that time, was some of the first times where legal dissection was available, mostly from folks who were convicted criminals who were executed. Yes, yes. So uh, they were able to get more bodies at this time, and he was one of the first to really be able to show skeletons, show uh, the different fascia of the body, the different layers of the human body in pretty representative and exact ways. Um, and so because of this, uh, he has these really great images that, that, were, that were developed. 
Uh, there's thoughts that they may be developed by somebody from Titian Studio. I don't know if you've seen that or not. So there's 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 links to like ancient or you know fathers of Italian um, art also in, involved with this. But uh, Vesalius was the one who was doing the dissections and overseeing the creation of these these plates. But what I'd love to do is maybe put these plates in. Uh, a 360 circle. Oh. And then we could have the circle spin from kind of, you know, the body as a whole piece to the different fascia, the different layers being exposed until it gets to just a skeleton. Um, I think that could be really cool. That would be really awesome. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen it kind of put together that way before. So you can kind of see, it's almost like a recreation of the Dance of Death or the Dance Macabre that, that people have seen, especially in that time period where it was you know, skeletons dancing, moving with living people. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard that, you know, Vesalius recreated that, but in this medical way. Um, and so this could be a way to kind of show that transition. So that could be kind of fun. Absolutely. I, th I think within our conversation, we've seen that, or you have really shown just how artistic yes. the whole idea is of medicine and mm -hmm. just the preservation of all of these artifacts with, with, within the collection itself. Right. So that, that's really interesting, and um, <laughs> I hope that people take advantage of, of the collection and come to visit you. And, yes, yes. Yeah, that I, uh, so are there tours going on now, or is it open? So right now it's open by appointment only. Okay. Uh, as of September, we'll be going to more normal hours. I believe it'll be from 10 until 4-ish um, throughout the week. Uh, appointments are always, are always uh, appreciated, though because I um, am a solo librarian at this point in time, solo curator, so I'm not always there if I have to go teach somewhere else or, or I'm off for a meeting somewhere. Absolutely uh, so not. just make sure someone's there for you if you do come. Sure, yeah. um, sure. Feel free to email me. Um, can I get my email address? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Magus at buffalo.edu. If you have any questions or you want to come visit, please, people can come anytime, though, and I'll make time for it. I would love people to come in person now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so my last and final question for you, Keith. Sure. Uh, what do you envision for the future of the History of Medicine collection? Well, I think through what we've kind of touched on with so far through this interview is that I love collaboration too. And that's something I got from Linda and I want to continue that. So I would love to work with faculty, students, staff, and then external organizations to really show what the collection has, to connect with folks so we can keep getting the messages out, the the wonderful, fascinating, morbid, but also inspiring stories that medicine has to offer, and health, si health sciences in general, not just medicine either. I want mm -hmm. to make sure we stress that too. Um, it's history medicine collection, but it also collects all the health sciences. Um, but yeah, I want, I want to get out there and have the, have the next phase of the collection be immersive in the community too. So that's what I would love to do is you know, figure out how to work cl more closely with these other organizations, with people uh, inside the university, but that maybe don't see so often, um, that don't come come into the, the collection and maybe come to them. So just just keep the keep the doors open and moving. Yeah, great. <laughs> Myself awesome. moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sitting down with me. Today, thank you. Keith. It was uh, great to to learn so much, and I hope our listeners feel the same. Yes, yes, great. I thank you for having me. It was wonderful. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Libraries Out Loud. And stay tuned for our next look at the UB Libraries on campus.